welcome to Brothers King Chat, where we view eternity through the lens of art. My name is Samuel. And I'm Thomas. And last time me and Thomas were here, we um, reviewed the history of DC Talk. How'd that go for you, Thomas? Very well. <laughs> and um, I, I enjoyed myself so much, I said, hey, Thomas, let's uh, do the individual members of DC Talk. And I said, let's do it. So we're doing it. So we're starting... With um, one-third of DC Talk, um, Kevin Max Smith. And we're going to kind of... I think this is going to be part one. We're probably going to split this into at least two parts. Because, boy, this guy has a discography. Mm-hmm. Like... Many an album. Mi- like, okay, DC Talk, they were together from 89 to, to 2000. About 2000. Mm-hmm. In that time, they released five albums. Um, so what is that? That's uh, 10 years? Mm-hmm. About 10 years. In 10 years, Kevin Max released 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. About 7 albums. In the next 10 years, he released 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 more albums. <sighs> this guy is a machine. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um... So, Thomas, tell me, um, based on what you'd heard in DC Talk and based maybe on your own personal history, what was your impression of uh, Kevin Max prior to kind of listening to his back catalog? Um, I really liked his voice. Um, he had more of a Rocky-esque, like when I say Rocky, I mean, you know, not the boxer, but um, uh, his voice when he the way he did it and with his style kind of more like that and he, he he loved to be goth for Jesus. Um, um, a lot of people described him as kind of a mix between I don't know how much you've listened to classic rock, but a mix between you um Bono of YouTube mm-hmm. of U two not YouTube and uh Freddie Mercury. He would get compared to both of them a lot. Yeah, I can. And I can see it. The vibrato is what it yeah. really is. He has mm-hmm. that vibrato. Okay, so goth for Jesus. Goth for Jesus. Uh, crazy vibrato voice. Mm-hmm. Anything else stick out to you? You loved staring creepily into cameras during music videos. Yes, yes. I don't know if that ever went away, honestly. Yeah. Um, my impression was similar. Um, so I grew up with DC Talk. Um, I grew up with Kevin Max to an extent, and I'll t- I'll talk about some of my personal history actually as we go through these albums. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was always the one with the cool voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't listen to "What If I Stumble" and not be like, "Ooh, that has a cool voice." Yes. Yeah. Um, the same with other songs in DC Talk's discography. You just like you hear the, the that one voice. Mm-hmm. And I think he probably has one of the most unique voices in Christian music, yeah. if not all of music, period, honestly. Yeah. Like, no one else really... Like, he may sound like Bono and Freddie Mercury, but he sounds like both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. No one else sounds like that. Yeah. So, I find that interesting. I think he also always struck me as the slightly weird one as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, like, you know, he's the one who pulls out poetry on a mainstream CCM album. Um, he's the one who <laughs> puts Joker monologue, monologue on his albums. Yes. Um, he's just, he's the odd one. So I think that leads perfectly into us just talking about this. Let's start in 2001. Uh, DC talk goes on intermission. Quote mm-hmm. unquote. <laughs> And, um, still not have 
returned. <laughs> I mean, they, they did have the, the Jesus Freak Cruise. You know, exactly what everyone was asking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, and these are what I call his post-DC talk years. So 2001, he was still on Forefront Records. Forefront Records was the home of DC talk. It's still the home of Toby Mac to this day, actually. So it's a very CCM label. Mm-hmm. Um kind of built on the back of DC Talk, if we're honest. Um, And he releases Stereotype B. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get the suspicion he um, was the one who was most ready and geared to go on a solo album. Yeah. So from Stereotype B, go ahead and give me, um, I will say, on the heels of DC Talk's massive success... Um, he chose a very interesting record. Like, you listen to this record, and there's flutes mm-hmm. in it, and there's world music, and lots of electronica. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of the most interesting records to ever come out of mainstream CCM. Like, I can't ever... I think there's a reason he got dropped from Forefront, because none of these songs are radio-friendly. <laughs> Particularly Christian radio-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, really, the album... You know, Stereotype B is all about being yourself, being unique, different from everyone else. And that's actually a theme he has throughout his music throughout the years. And I think he was really out to prove I'm more than just one third of a boy band. Yeah. Um, He was just out to prove himself and prove how different and weird he could be with this album. And he did that with his music videos. He did that with his uh, stage performance. If you look at them around this time, he would have like props and costumes he would wear um he just wanted to be different so um it's kind of my impression the music is it's pop music filtered through like world euro pop if that makes sense mm-hmm. um with kind of an alt rock like you can you can pick out the parts of supernatural that he influenced yeah. based off this album honestly and I think there's even some songs on this album that, with a little tweaking, could fit on the a T- DC Talk album, mm-hmm. honestly, as, like, kind of the, the B-cuts, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, a, a very good first showing. It sold, like, 100,000 copies. Mm. Not too bad, honestly. Not too bad, yeah. But coming off of selling a million copies, his record label said, eh, <laughs> So, what was your impression of this album? Um, a lot of what you said. I, 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 I really liked it. Um, when I, when I first, uh, to be honest, I was expecting kind of, um, I, I was expecting it to sound more similar to some of the actual DC Talk stuff, but it sounded more different than that, because I was kind of expecting, you know, more of the same kind of stuff, just tweaked slightly, you know, to fit more of his kind of thing, but it was, it was different, like, it had more, like you said, electronic um, and it had, uh, some songs were more pop, some were more rock influenced, and, yeah, I really liked it. It was pretty cool. Okay, fair enough. Now, do you think if any of these songs had hit Christian radio, which maybe one or two did, I don't know, do you think as eclectic as he was, he would have, um, thrived in the Christian music realm? Probably not. You don't think so? I don't think so. Um, just more stuff where it's more like uh, it seems more uh, not quite as uh, stuff that's more different and more unique usually isn't quite as 
much as, you know, like other stuff would be. That's fair. And I mean, obviously, he, he never would have made it like in today's worship dominated market. Yeah, no. But back in 2001, I feel like record companies did have more money. They were taking more risks. It honestly surprises me. He wasn't, like, the moment he was dropped by Forefront, he wasn't picked up by someone else. And I have to think it's maybe a little bit because he just didn't want to play by their rules and he wanted to try different things. It's something I'd really love to talk to him about someday. So in this post-DC Talk years, he uh, takes a two-year hiatus. I I assume he was just touring a lot. Um, He was probably still in that touring mindset, that touring machine, because DC Talk had just toured for 10 years straight. Yeah. Keep doing what works. Yeah. Um, and there's some even some videos of him touring from around that time in like I think um, where was it? Uh, it was like one of like Finland or something. I forget exactly which country. And it it was kind of weird to watch him because the audience was just like numb to his performance. Um, they just kind of sat and stared at him, and he was he's a different showman. I think he's gotten better as he's gotten older, mm-hmm. especially back then. He just. Uh, his oddity kind of didn't click with the audience very well. And I think that probably hurt him a little bit too. Even when he played like Jesus Freak, Mm -hmm. um, which I was kind of surprised he whipped that one out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, But he even played that and they just didn't respond. So it was was odd. I mean, uh, you got to think like what it would be like just to be up there and just like doing that. And it's like they're just kind of staring at you. That would be, like, for me, like, the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, almost worse than just getting booze because it's, like, they're not telling you what they're thinking. They're just kind of sitting there. So, what am I doing wrong? And then it, it could seem into, like, a panic mode where it would be easier to mess up or screw up because, you know, the pressure of, okay, they're not responding at all negatively necessarily or positively. So, it's just, like, okay, so what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? that could change their reaction, if at all. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then he kind of went and took a left turn um, after his two years of I presume touring. Took a left turn in 2003 and recorded Raven Songs Mm -hmm. with Adrian Blue. Um, Adrian Blue was part of a rock band named King's Crimson, um, very popular rock band. He later converted to Christianity. He even produced, um, he like, he was the producer on Jars of Clay's Flood. Oh. That's like what a lot of people would know him for. That's what I knew him for. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a he's someone who um, collaborates with Kevin Max pretty often in his early years. And Raven songs. Um, so he had released a book of poetry. Kevin Max had. He had also previously done poetry on DC Talk albums. So I guess it felt fitting for him to. Um, do a poetry album, an album of nothing but poetry. Hmm. Um, and it's like he was on a mission to prove how eclectic he was. Um, and I, but this was an independent album. So yeah. I, I think it was just a matter of he was off the record label. He was going to do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, an album of poetry is what it was. Um, I listened to this album and I wish I liked it more. I like poetry to a degree i mean i like me without you i like listener mm-hmm. they're both bands who are very poetic yeah. with music behind them kevin max's poetry was only mildly grabbing me um i don't want to be like rude but i feel like there was a missing piece at this point in his career where he uh 
he wasn't quite sure how to make that pop machine. Um, so one of my favorite artists, Jason Martin of Star mm-hmm. Fire 59, he always mm-hmm. says, um, an artist isn't anyone special. They're just someone who's learned a trade. Just like you learn how to woodwork or you learn how to be an electrician. You just learn a trade. That's all songwriting is. And I feel like Kevin Max, especially at this point, hadn't mastered the craft of the song. He knew how to write poetry. He knew how to be creative and express himself. But he hadn't quite mastered the craft, if you will. Mm. Um, so what was your thoughts on Raven Song 101? It was something, yeah. Um, Like you said, it um, probably could have been better due to, you know mastering the craft or whatnot but um parts of it were okay i thought um some parts were definitely better than others i think but yeah how do you think his career do you think he could have made a career and just like touring poetry do you think that would have worked um i mean i guess optimistically um maybe could have done something for a little while but i don't think a long lasting thing would have been sustained via just that that's fair that's fair um i think his poetry goes better when it's mixed with his music Mm -hmm. um as like a side thing maybe not a whole album's worth yeah (laughs) all right so that's this post dc talk years really technically stereotype b is really his only post dc talk but i didn't know where else raven songs really fit in there other Mm -hmm. than it seemed like his eclectic album. <laughs> so we move on to 2004, and we get to Between the Fence and the Universe. So I will let you take the lead on this one. What was your thought of this, I think, essentially EP? And I'm guessing from kind of the quality of it, it may have been a demo album, honestly. Um, or at least one he had. He was It was definitely independent, and it was, I think, one he had more control over. Mm-hmm. So what was your thoughts of this album? Um, it was, I, I liked it, but, um, just like, um, most of the albums, like I said, uh, I post, you know, DC talk and then between that and then, um, but I, I liked, I liked it. It was like you said, independent. Um, and you said he had probably had more control. Um, I wonder if that had to do with, I noticed, um, and it was like that with, um, um, after his post DC talk with, uh, per, uh, stereotype B, and then you know onward, uh, some of it was less Christian, uh, oriented and just you know, uh, songs about you know stuff in general and, um, with Seek maybe falling into uh, into the maybe more Christian, uh, category, but, um, that other than that, uh, as I recall, mo- mo- the rest were less Christian oriented and just more, you know, songs. And I wonder if that had to do with the fact that he had more control and he wanted to do something more different. Um, you know, other than just, you know, set himself apart a little further from, you know, the Christian boy band he was in. Um, so I, I, I thought it was well done. Uh, I liked how it sounded. Um, and then there was the Hallelujah cover, which, like you said, you didn't realize it was a cover until you started listening to it. And yeah, no, I was... Okay, I'll, I'll get into my history in a minute. I'll let you finish, but... No, no, it's fine. Um, I thought it was well done. His voice, like we talked about earlier, is definitely unique. Very unique. Um, 
and you know a lot of just on the side just covers in general um when it comes to covers people tend to either uh try and just do their own thing and make it unique or they just want like pretty much just them doing like a replica of what the song already was and with him it's like the instrumentals and for the most part was mostly the same as from what i've heard it from other versions but his voice is that you can definitely tell um that it was different and it was done well in my opinion so yeah um so me history time this album this ep was my first exposure to kevin max as a solo artist um so up to this point in my history i was i would have had to have been 18 because i had my license and i had heard i had had like one dc talk no 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 one toby mac album in my history and then i lost it and then i i listened to dc talk on the radio growing up saw this album it was on like the the 50 cent rack in christian bookstore because this would have been like 2009 2010 um it was on like the back we're getting rid of these cds table and i grabbed it and a handful of others that to this day they're still some of my favorite cds i don't know if it was just getting those at the right time in my life because music never sounds as good as when you're 17 and 18 Mm -hmm. um and i was interested by the cd and I listened to it a lot, but I also didn't have a lot of CDs. didn't have a lot of music back then. I didn't have access to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. And so it uh, was a really interesting album. Um, you're right. Seek is the most Christian-ish because um, it's kind of based off of scripture and mm-hmm. that whole entire bit. Um, in retrospect, I realized what demo quality kind of the whole entire album is. I didn't realize that then. I thought it was just kind of indie, lo-fi. And it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit straightforward, more straightforward pop than Stereotype B. Mm-hmm. Much more straightforward, which I think that, once again, lack of budget. You can tell Stereotype B had some money put into it. Yeah. This album, not so much. Um, and I, I call this his mainstream years. This is when I think he was saying, all right, Christian music just isn't for me anymore. Not that he didn't want to sing about Jesus anymore, but that that industry, he was done with the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think he was. this was him kind of stepping away and trying to see if he could swing it in the kind of indie mainstream arena. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to our next album, um, The Imposter, in 2005. So, tell me about... The Imposter. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, with, you know, songs like Sanctuary and then Confessional Booth, you know, that's obviously, you know, um... more christian-esque yeah there i was looking for somewhere it's alluding to i don't know if that's the correct way i was you know like alluding to christianity it's alluding to christianity whereas um you know some of the ones on the previous we talked about um and even a few on this were you know not quite so um and then i know there's the imposter and then the imposter song um which i thought was interesting but altogether like 
this falling still into, you know, before uh, the preview, before uh, the blood. Um, I I really enjoyed this one too, and it had more with uh, it had, as you said, um, as some did more with that, and then stereotype be more budget than you know the one where he was more. But it had some where it was more uh, rock and then more pop. And uh, you could I, that's one of the main ones where it hit me that it was more different from DC Talks stuff. Because I was like, well, they did some rock-esque things. Um, but that one leaned into it in some songs more than they did when he was back with DC Talk. So. Okay, so... The Imposter, it's worth noting, he was on Northern Records. Northern Records is like an indie um, um, label from California. They have some bands that I'm familiar with because I do another podcast about Starflyer 59. Um, and so like the Lassie Foundation, um, the Violet Burning, these are all like these indie California bands that are loosely have some loose ties to Christian record labels, but not really at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So really he fit right in with this record label. And I think this record label being an indie rock label, um, really, you're right. The guitar is amazing. Um, that first song confession booth gets stuck in my head. Sometimes I take back everything that I said that ever brought you pain or grief. Um, man, it just, I think so, um, spoiler, The Imposter is probably my favorite Kevin Max album. I think so. Um, this is him getting personal. Now, you could argue Stereotype B was him personal. Yes, it was him saying, I want to be different from everyone else. I don't want to be fit into the mold. But this is him saying, this isn't just what I want to be. This is who I am. You know, he talks a lot in this album about... Um, not living up to people's expectations, which I think is what um, the confession booth is really about. You know, you you fail people around you, and it's going to happen. Um, I really love the imposter song, and fun fact um, for me as a Starflyer fan, I look at the credits for the imposter song, and it was written by a Jason Martin. I don't know if it was written by Starflyer 59's Jason Martin, but I'd like to believe it is. Because it's one of the best songs on there. And it talks all about failing people. The The bridge kind of goes, I fell for you. You fell for me. Um, you believed me. I believed you. And um, man, that that really gets me when I'm getting to that age in my life where I am now a, a role model. And that freaks me out, honestly. And Kevin Max, you have to consider, he's been on display since he was 18 years old. He has been a quote-unquote role model for people. And obviously as the most eclectic member of one of the biggest rock bands in Christian history, maybe he hasn't always lived up to people's expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's got to freak you out a little bit. And that kind of ties back into sometimes um, we don't, feel like we are who we say we are and we're just pitting on a mask for all the world to see Mm -hmm. and I relate to that the older I get I relate to it so hard and especially um, there's a a thing in psychology called imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. where even if you are a professional in something 
you never feel like you're good enough. You feel like you're just making it up as you're going along because the thing no one ever tells you as a kid is everyone is just little kids making it up as they go along. Just some of us admit it and some of us don't. And uh, this album ties very nicely into all those themes. And then the last song, Sanctuary, is, you know, wishing for God's embrace, God's presence as a sanctuary from essentially yourself. Mm-hmm wishing for um, safety from the, the fakeness of the world and the fakeness of your own life sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I did not write hardly any of that down, but man, this album um, has some amazing alternative indie rock and half of these should have been radio hits. Mm-hmm. Like with his voice, the way these songs sounds. Another one that I really love that gets stuck in my head is Beautiful Mind. Um, where he actually wrote this about a conversation he had with a friend of his who's atheist. Mm -hmm. So the whole entire song is him debating creationism versus atheism um, evolution with his friend. And he's still telling her that I still find your mind beautiful even though you don't agree with me. And I think that's a really cool sentiment to have Mm -hmm. and a a different way to look at those conversations. Because, I mean, nowadays, people, it's like, oh, you disagree with me, you're an idiot, you're stupid. And it's like we completely degrade people who don't share the same opinions as we do. I mean, because um, we we all, not with everything, with all the opinions we have, but a lot of us with opinions we have, you know, we believe we're right, we believe we're correct. So it's just like, especially today with, you know, whether it be, you know, politics or religious stuff or, you know, just random things like in pop culture, and then just random things that don't matter even. Mm-hmm. We find ourselves like disagreeing and like arguing with people over things and then and it's okay to debate, it's okay to, you know, have discourse and to um to talk about these things and to discuss them, but it's like when we it's it's wrong to get to the point where it's like we're like we're insulting people. Yeah, absolutely. Just simply because I mean, they can when it's big issues, we still shouldn't, you know, insult because no one cares what you're saying if you're going to be a jerk. Exactly. I mean, even if even if you are right and they are wrong, if all you can say after, you know, just expounding upon your point is, well, if you don't agree, you're stupid. I mean, at that point, they don't care if you're right anymore. They just, you're insulting me. You're being so unkind to me simply because we have different viewpoints. I don't care what you're saying. So there's really no point in doing that because it's not helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine if uh, Jesus would have went and punched the people in the face that he <laughs> didn't agree with rather than sitting down and having dinner with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for all those reasons, this album really hits me good. Um, I wish it would have been a bigger hit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why... This album, he was on a good record label. I think he finally had the talent behind him because he talks about this album is only half him. There was a guitar player, he joined him on this album, I forget his name, should have written it down, who wrote a lot of the music. And I think um, that music definitely leaned into the alternative rock he was already doing. It also leaned into like some David Bowie-esque mm-hmm. kind of electronica. And... Um, I don't know. Why do you have any theories other than this being an indie record label which never had any real hits? (laughs) 
why this album didn't blow up? Or do you think it's as good as I think it is? I mean... I, I do think it's... I, I do really like it. And, um... I mean, there's just some things with, like... There's a lot of albums we could say that it's like this should have gotten more people should have seen but i i don't know if because you know i was younger back when this was um but at least nowadays and i don't know if it was the same but um and not all people but a lot of people had maybe they just things that weren't just like completely mainstream almost all the time they didn't really listen to like um a lot of people i know and then um, for even some of my friends, they, they listen to stuff, they don't necessarily listen to stuff that's not mainstream, if it's not mainstream, they're not really, um, like, if you're like, hey, you should check this out, they're like, oh, okay, but then, um, they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but then they, do just, it's not what they, and, and I'm not saying it's like, okay, you have to, like, yeah, it's because there's mainstream stuff that is good, mm-hmm. it's just, I feel like some people, they don't want to drift from the mainstream sometimes, um, I don't know necessarily if that's just because, you know, the, you know, bandwagon or whatever, but sometimes I, at least for me with friends that I have, they don't really like to listen to stuff that's just not mainstream. So I don't know that's if that I think anything to do. Comfort. Um, a lot of people are like the effort it takes to like different music <laughs> is a bit much for them. Um, I think you do have to have a weird taste to like more underground music. Um, I don't know this you're right it, it's probably just a simple matter of no one ever heard it who cared enough that's probably all there is to it and it's a shame it's mm. really a shame I love this album um, like a few months later around Christmas time on the same record label Northern Records he released a Christmas album the Christmas album um, Holy Night um, for me Holy Night was a pleasant but forgettable Christmas record yeah, there are very few Christmas records I listen to that I'm like, oh, that blew me away. I'm, you can it's only amazing. do a co- you can only do a cover of Silent Night, which is my favorite Christmas hymn. I love Silent Night; it makes mm-hmm. me tear up every time. You can only do so many covers of it before they all start blending a little bit. Yeah. Um. So, what would, did you listen to that Christmas yes. album? Yes, what were I your did. thoughts on it? Um, <laughs> the Christmas album. I thought there were parts where it did sound good, but um, as I have in my notes, I like it. At a certain point, it just kind of blended together, and it's like Christmas album. This is a Christmas album, and it's like um, there wasn't like another thing with you know covers. His voice, while really good and stuff, it's like it's still the music itself. Um, it's like not enough was switched up. I think to make it more memorable. I mean, either for bad or for worse. It's just. Um, it wasn't it's just because it just wasn't as different you know and i mean different doesn't always equal good but it's like when it comes to being memorable this just for me and i mean let, let me see it had uh what how many songs did it have it had 13 at 41 minutes so i mean that's yeah that's but it's like all christmas songs and it's pretty much mostly just the same kind of thing what we've heard you know from other covers of each song or just the originals themselves it's just kind of the same kind of thing just different voice and although it's an amazing voice i don't know if that was enough to make it like super memorable so 
That's fair. I I guess technically this Christmas album is his first covers album, so we're gonna talk about it. Um, he has a total of like five or six cover albums in his discography. Um, and I think later he started doing them more for his own personal, um, for his own like kind of. He had something interesting to say about those covers. I think at this point, he may have been getting slightly burnt out. Um, so it's worth noting in two thousand and. Eight, I believe it was. There was a movie called The Imposter released as well. It was a Christian indie film mm-hmm. where he was the main character. <laughs> it's funny because in the movie, um, he is the lead singer of a rock band mm-hmm. who um, kind of cheats around on his wife and d- gets hooked on drugs while the lead singer of this Christian rock band in this fictional universe. And he gets kicked out of the band and uh, then he gets super in debt with loan sharks. And I just find it hilarious because I'm like, I feel like this is all the stuff people rumored about him. Like, did he just make a movie about pe- rumors people had heard about him? Because this seems like stuff that'd be rumored. <laughs> like, as the odd one who was always a bit out there anyway. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you just see those rumors popping up of, oh, I bet you he does drugs and sleeps around. <laughs> no normal Christians could Stare so creepily into a camera, which is not possible. It must be drugs. It must be drugs. <laughs> it's the early two thousands. It's got to be drugs. Um, it's a it's a C level movie at best, maybe B if you're having a good night. Which makes me want to watch it. I know we'll have to watch it sometime. It's it's okay. It has a Jeff Deo of Sonic Flood as the other lead singer of this Christian band. <laughs> Another thing I really like about that movie um, is it has a song in it by Down Here. Now, Down Here has a, a, a co-lead singer named Mark Martell mm-hmm. who sounds a lot like Kevin Max. So I said no one else sounds like him. Mark Martell can sound like him, but Mark Martell is also a very talented individual who can sound like anyone. If you haven't listened to him, I should make you listen to him sometime. Um not the point (laughs) the point is he made this movie i think he got a bit busy with the movie um and was maybe a little bit burnt out and trying to write new material because he wouldn't write any new material for another three years and even then it was just an ep so i think between the movie and then maybe between first being rejected by a christian record label and then not being really taken in by your mainstream label burnout may have been a slight thing at this point (laughs) yeah and i mean when being burnout but also you know gotta release music i mean covers i mean so i mean doing covers would make sense because i mean you're too burnt out with to write your own uh stuff at the moment and i mean you're also wrapped up with you know doing a movie so i mean and I mean, granted, like you said, it was it wasn't a huge, huge movie. But I mean, even still, even small takes movies, time. even small movies take time. So it's like, I I can understand why you know. And I mean, cover albums can be good. Um, so I mean, yeah, it made it makes sense why he did a cover. Thing. Well, then he followed up with another cover album, The Blood. The Blood. So this one. I found interesting. I think this one he had something interesting to say with the covers. Mm-hmm. So this is technically a hymns album. Yeah. Though it it falls more in line with gospel hymns and not like 
not to be stereotypical or anything, but it's not white hymns. This is more like country gospel music. Mm-hmm. So somewhere between Johnny Cash, I feel like, and... Um, Which Johnny Cash's sister was... Yes, Johnny Cash. Was it his sister or his daughter? I thought it was his sister, but it could have okay. been his daughter. Maybe it was his I daughter. could be wrong. It was, it was a Cash was in It there. was one of the Cashes. So... And in my notes, I was, yeah, it, said, it had kind of a Cash feel to it. You know. I feel like even the opening song, The Blood, mm-hmm. you know, it's the blood, the G. Mm-hmm. Like, even that, like he, he does, like, the sound effect where it sounds like it's coming from an old AM radio. Yeah. And he just has just the guitar. And honestly, I love that intro. It's one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. on the album. Um, and I, I have a sneaky suspicion. I have no confirmation of this. I have never talked to the man in my life. Maybe I'll get that on her someday. That this was maybe his last ditch effort to try and get back in the good graces of CCM because he realized he wasn't making any money, <laughs> um, and you know you gotta live, you yeah. gotta pay your house bills, and mm-hmm. I mean people don't like to talk about it, but music, even the Christian music industry, is still a business. Mm-hmm. You have to make money to live, to eat, to pay your bills. Um, also, it's worth noting, two thousand and seven is right about the time. Pirate music pirating was taking place. People mm-hmm. just stopped buying records. Everything was going downhill. And I have a, I just think maybe this album was his attempt. And this was also when everyone was releasing worship albums or hymns albums. Jars of Clay did it. The Newsboys did it. Michael B. Smith. Everyone was releasing a hymns album or worship album. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this was his attempt to maybe get get in, back in with the crowd yeah yeah get in with that crowd he even got on a new record label which i forget what the record label was called because he was only on it for one this one album mm-hmm. and he even did a reunion with dc talk yeah the yeah the the dc talk feature yeah um which was a cover of a prince song i don't know if you knew that I did not. So, you know, like the 80s pop star Prince. Yeah, yeah. Purple Rain. Yeah, this is his song, The Cross. Because hmm. Prince um, had this wonderful thing of he would write songs about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and then write songs about Jesus on the same album. He just did it all the time. Hmm. He was an odd filler. <laughs> um, and even a DC Talk reunion somehow didn't get him back in the good graces of CCM. I feel kind of bad for the guy. Yeah. Um, he had a whole bunch of other people he did that was in this album. This had like tons of duets. Amy Grant. Amy Grant was in it. Um, and it's, he did some good gospel covers. Mm-hmm. Like I appreciate he didn't just go the white hymnal direction. Yeah. He tried to, he even said in a press release, he's like, these, this isn't about just making white versions of these songs. Mm-hmm. It's about, this is the, the roots of blues music. This is the roots of rock yeah. music. And I'm trying to honor those roots of the music I love. And I kind of appreciate that mindset yeah. going into it. So what was your thoughts on the blood? Overall, it was, it was definitely because, you know, the previous album albums more, you know, pop, rock heavy 
whereas this is you know hymns gospel stuff where it's like you know leaning more heavily on that um as you said suspicion suspicion that you know trying to get back into that um so it was it was when i was listening to it and i got i finished with the previous album then i got that i'm like oh this is different um and at first i was like um which i ha- i had to listen to uh i believe the first song again because i was you know I was like, this is an interesting, the way he did that with the, um, with the, with just the way he did that was very interesting. So I gave it another listen, but overall I, I liked it. I liked that, um, especially with, you know, Amy Grant and I, 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 I really appreciated the DC talk, uh, feature in the, the little reunion there. I mean, it wasn't on a cruise, but, um, <laughs> it, it was still fun. Um, I, I liked that. Um, I did like that he had, uh, the, not sure if you know sister or you know daughter whatever of cash but it was cool and it did have the cash feels um throughout the the album but on that song also that uh where she was featured on it i it did have you know the cash feel to it and as i as i have in my note it sounded kind of the way he was singing it sounded very cash-esque the way he was doing it so uh overall i appreciated it and i I liked it but it, it was definitely different from uh some of his previous albums that he did and it makes you wonder, could he have had a career in country? Like, mm. I could hear him, like, just switching over to country and kind of rocking it, honestly. Yeah. Like, I maybe this album never took off, so he said it's not worth it. But I really wonder if he couldn't have crossed over to country a little bit. I mean, it's obviously still pop. Well, I don't know, but... I mean, at... I, I, I hate the idea that people just outlive their usefulness... But at 54, pop music, because country music is still pop, you know, it's yeah. it's all still pop because it's popular music, mm-hmm. are, are less, like, willing just to let 54-year-old people have their have their day in the sun, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you're an, a veteran that's been there for a million years. Yeah. You're not likely. Now, it's not saying it's not possible. It's always a possibility. In fact, there was just recently a big country hit by a guy who used to be the lead singer of a new metal band in the in the early two thousands, and he switched from new metal to country and just had a huge hit. So it's a possibility, but I don't think he wants to go in that direction. Particularly if you listen to the albums that come after this, which we will get to next episode. <laughs> So um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Come back for part two where we talk about um, the underground years and the pop years of Sir Kevin Max. Um, Once again, my name is Samuel. And I'm Thomas. And you guys have a wonderful night. Bye.